I'm always refreshed to hear the stories of how God has worked in people's lives. These are joyful and encouraging times. But as is the case case most weeks, I'm also part I was also part of some events that were not joyful and refreshing. I sat in a hospital room with a wife in the bed and the husband looked over at me and said, Stage four. Stage four cancer. Oh. That's not fun. That's not fun for those that are there or for me being there or anybody else. It's not hard to be joyful in circumstances like today, but what about the other days? How do we face those days when things are hard and people don't encourage? The days when the kids are uncooperative and the paycheck isn't big enough. The days when you try to do the Lord's work and it doesn't seem to work. What I hope to help you understand today from God's Word is this. Real strength comes through an active awareness of Jesus Christ. An active awareness of Jesus Christ. Now, we've been talking about Jesus Christ and singing about Jesus Christ the whole time in this service. But I want to talk to you today about being actively aware of Him in your life. Please follow as I read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. If you're new to our church, I should bring you up to speed on the book of 2 Timothy just a little bit. The Apostle Paul is in jail, in a Roman prison, facing what he anticipates will be his execution, and as far as we know, that is exactly what happened. And he writes this letter, as far as we know, the last thing he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, who had been his assistant. They had worked together in the ministry, and Timothy had been the pastor of the church where he is now at Ephesus. And Paul is writing to him, I believe, to give him some final words of encouragement, essentially as Paul passes the baton. Not that Timothy is going to become an apostle, but he's going to become a man that other men lean on in the ministry. He's going to become a man who has to lead his church without the apostle Paul to lean on. And as such, he gives a series of instructions about being strong. And here he says, Timothy, you need to remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised up from the dead according to my gospel. Did Timothy already know that? Oh, absolutely, he knew that. You go back to chapter 1 and read about his genuine faith in Christ Jesus. But the Apostle Paul is going to say, Timothy, you need to meditate on who Christ is if you're going to be strong in your life. We need to be aware, first of all, in meditating about Christ, that the person we refer to as Jesus Christ has a human nature. Jesus was the name our Savior was given by his heavenly Father and also his earthly Father at the heavenly Father's instruction. And we read about it here in Luke. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the Son, and you will call his name Jesus. Now, when we think of the name Jesus, we think of something very special. I know it gets used a lot as a curse word. But we don't stop and realize 
Jesus was the name that everybody called him as he walked through his life. In the Old Testament, it would have been the name Joshua. And so they just, hey, Jesus, how you doing? I mean, it was, it was his common name. It was how he was called. The name means something significant. It means God will save. But it was a name given to men like Joshua in the Old Testament, who God also used to deliver his people in, in, a, in a partial way. It was a name chosen by God, and in our culture, we don't use it to name babies. But in the Hispanic culture, there are many men named Jesus. We don't recognize that as Jesus because we don't know Spanish that well. But Jesus, and I believe the nickname is Chewy. Maybe I've heard that before, that sometimes they will use the nickname Chewy to refer to somebody named Jesus. It's a common name. Many men around the world named by this name because they think it's an honor to to name somebody perhaps after Christ. Jesus had a name because he was a real-life baby boy, then a child, then a young man who who lived a real human life in a real place because he had a real human nature. Listen to these examples of Jesus' human nature. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. Did you get that part that I put in bold? He was tired from walking. That's, that was the primary mode of transportation in that day. You're going to go from one town to another, you're going to walk. He was tired from the journey. And so he sat down by the well. And it was about the sixth hour, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said, would you give me a drink? He was thirsty. He was tired. In John 11, we read this, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit, and he was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? Talking about Lazarus. And they said to him, Lord, come see. And Jesus wept. Did you understand some of the human perceptions that he had? He groaned in his spirit and was troubled. He was, now, was he troubled because Lazarus was dead? Was he troubled because people didn't believe? Was he troubled because his friend had died? Probably all of the above. And the net effect was he wept. You need to understand that Jesus has a human nature. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. We don't have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. When you go to work tomorrow, and your boss is less than kind and supportive, you might reflect on the events of the crucifixion. And realize that Jesus knows what it's like for people not to be kind and supportive. He knows what it's like to be insulted. He knows what it's like to be made fun of. He knows what it's like to be taunted. Come on down from the cross if you're God. He knows all that stuff we go through. Because he has a human nature. He understands when friends let you down. He understands the weariness of daily life. He understands the pain of loss. He understands being dependent on a father who works out things for his glory, not our comfort. 
In the garden, he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. He understands that struggle. And that's why, that's why this verse comes after that verse. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help and help in time of need. Our Savior wants to help us and he understands what we need. But if we don't meditate on who Christ is, we may miss some of the blessing and benefit he wants to give to us. We need to be aware that the person we refer to as Christ Jesus has a human nature. Secondly, we need to be aware of the divine nature of Christ. We need to be aware that he has a divine nature. In Luke chapter 1, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Look how closely that parallels uh, 2 Timothy chapter 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this happen since I have never been with a man sexually? I've never known a man. I'm not with a man now. How can that happen? How can I get pregnant? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Jesus Christ has a human nature and he has a divine nature. Jesus wasn't just a good man who gave us a good example of a good life. He was the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who took on a human nature and became the God-man. And that's why we understand that he did a saving work. We need to be aware of the work he did. If he wasn't human and divine together, he could not have provided for our salvation on the cross. The term Christ that we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus Christ is a title, not a name. His first name was Jesus. His last name was not Christ. His last name would have been son of Joseph, or, I mean, humanly speaking, he would have been that, but actually he called himself the Son of Man, if you wanted to give him a last name. But Christ is a title. Sometimes in Scripture it's written this way, Jesus the Christ, the Christ, the one and only. This word Christ in the New Testament corresponds to the Old Testament word Messiah, which literally means anointed or chosen. When they would pick a king... They would anoint, that is literally pour something on him that signified the choice. Jesus was the anointed one, the chosen one of God, the special and unique one. As you study the Old Testament, you'll see that many people were anointed, but Jesus is the one referred to as the anointed. What was he chosen for? What was he anointed for? Here it is in Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Please God the Father to bruise Jesus Christ. He has put him to grief. 
When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The word satisfied here is very significant because it goes like this. God in heaven looked down at Adam and Eve and then all of the rest of the human beings after them and said, you owe me a debt because of the sin in your life. And the debt can only be paid by one person. See, when you die, you don't pay for the debt. There's no way you could die and somehow satisfy that debt and then somehow come back to life afterwards because you're sinful to begin with. Only a perfect person who could live righteously and endure the punishment of God could pay the debt, could satisfy the debt. And so when God allowed and commanded Jesus to go on the cross and to die for sin, that death satisfied his requirement of the payment for sin. God says that before we were believers, we were his enemies, and there was a debt to be paid, and there was wrath demonstrated toward us by God. But when we believe, God takes that sacrifice of Christ and applies it to us, and the blood of Christ washes away our sin, and a new life is given to us. Look at verse 8 again. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my good news. We use the word gospel as a Bible term, but it literally means good news. What's the good news? The good news is this. Because of the death of Christ, we can have forgiveness. We have all done things for which we are ashamed. We've all done things that we wish we could wipe away. By human standards, some people would say their deeds were worse than other people's deeds, or they would look at some and say, that guy's deeds are worse than my deeds, whatever. But we've all done things that we want forgiveness for. And the good news is is that God wants to forgive. God wants to take away our sin. And that's exactly what happens. That's why the, the truth of Christ is good news. There is a removal of guilt which takes away the fear of God. It brings a relationship with God with the ability to pray and ask for his help. Secondly, it brings a new life. Not only is our sin taken away, but a new life is implanted in its place. New character, new ability to conquer sinful habits, new ability to love like Christ. And then as if that's not enough, heaven when we die. Or heaven when God comes back and takes us off this planet, whichever comes first. So there's no anxiety about the future. Oh, I understand. There's things to be concerned about. Especially when we know our death is imminent. And there's things to be concerned about if we live many years. And yet that ultimate anxiety is taken away because someday when I lay my burden down here, when I breathe my last here, I will breathe my first in heaven And that is a glorious hope. That is an encouraging hope. Because Christ was and is the God-man who paid for our sin, we have this reality. Because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost 
those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The simple truth is this. When you genuinely put your faith in Christ, you are on a secure track for heaven. A secure track for heaven. But the Apostle Paul here, right after he uses the word good news, gives us the bad news, the balancing news. And he says, we need to be aware of the divisive impact of Christ. He says, remember, Jesus Christ of the seed of David, raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer. For which I suffer. Paul preached the truth that I have just preached. And because of that, some people hated him and caused him to be put into prison. And eventually, as we understand history, he died for his faith and only for his faith, not for being an evildoer. If you are here today and you've never believed in Christ, you need to know that God will bless your soul, but at that same time, when you believe in Christ, or I should say in time, Satan and the world he controls will persecute you on some level. Parents might not let a young person fellowship with the church or be baptized. Friends or co-workers might make fun of you. You're religious? Really? You aren't going to be one of those wacko Baptists, are you? I know that Dave Lunsford, he's out of his mind. I hope so. Why won't you come and live with us the way you used to live? Part of being strong as a Christian is anticipating attack and realizing that you aren't the problem Christ is. You've got to anticipate the fact that there will be persecution. Now I know we've come through an era and we're sort of still in the era in many Christian churches where they do everything they can to make this just as gentle and kind and positive as possible. But the truth is, if you live for Christ, you will suffer some persecution. The Apostle Paul preached that message that seems to be a good message, and he died for it. And he says, Timothy, you need to get your mind around the fact that if you do a perfect job preaching about Christ... Some people will hate you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, quote, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake. Because they do not know him who sent me. And here's the thing that they hate most of all. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so here's the reality, Christian. We see Jesus as the key that unlocks heaven's doors. Those who have not yet believed see him as the padlock on the door of heaven. They see him keeping people out of heaven. We see him letting people in. And frankly, we're both right. Because as I heard somebody say just the other day, my wife and I went to a little function, 
got talking to a fellow. We got talking about churches, and he said, we're all going to the same place. And believe me, his church is very different. You really think so? No, I don't, because Jesus is the key that unlocks heaven's door. And as long as we cling to the truth of the Bible, there are going to be some people, Jesus said it here just in the last verses we read, some people are going to believe you, but some people are not, and those people are going to hate you. And so you need to be ready for that if you're going to be strong. Now, here's the most exciting thing that I can share to you today. Some of you, a lot of you are sitting here today and say, well, Dave, I knew all that stuff. That's good stuff. Thank you for that stuff. But here's the thing that you've got to really get your mind around today. We need to be aware, aware of the unstoppable power of Christ. Would you look at verse 9 of 2 Timothy? For which, for the gospel's sake, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. I love that. One, one author that I read even verbalized it this way. He said, can you see the Apostle Paul standing up to his window in the prison cell going, Jesus died for your sins! <laughs> I can see him doing that. I can see him talking to the guard that he might have been chained next to. And we read evidence of the fact that some of the guards who guarded Caesar became believers in Christ. He said the word of God is not chained. It is not limited. It is not controllable. It is not stoppable. Jesus said it this way, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. In 1 Peter, Peter wrote it this way, all flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man is like the flower on the grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. In about 300 A.D., the emperor... Diocletian tried to destroy every Bible in the Roman Empire. He didn't quite get it done. The French philosopher skeptic Voltaire, several hundred years later, declared that he would bury the Bible. Not long afterward, Voltaire died and was buried. Word of God, still here. Through the centuries... The Catholic popes tried to keep people from having the Bible in their own language. Even though some of the early translators and printers of the scripture were tortured and killed, the word of God is today the bestseller in the world, and it's published in thousands of languages. The word of God is unchained. One of the more recent attacks on the Bible was by a group called the Jesus Seminar. These so-called scholars, guys with PhDs and such, got together to discuss which words in the Bible that are attributed to Christ were really spoken by Christ, and which words really don't belong in the Bible. And so they met and met and met and, and you know, exacted uh, many truths out of the Gospels and attempted to tell everybody, well, this is, this is the way it's really supposed to be. And how many of you have ever heard of the Jesus Seminar? That's what I thought. Oh, a few of you. Okay. Did you go home and rip those pages out of your Bible? 
They'll be long gone someday. They'll just be a footnote in the Wikipedia theology history. One of the greatest stories about the Word of God and the unstoppable nature of the Word of God comes from the Soviet Union from many years ago. Um, In the 1930s, Stalin ordered a purge of all Bibles and all believers. And I may mispronounce this, but in Stavropol, Russia, this order was carried out with a vengeance. Thousands of Bibles were confiscated and multitudes of believers were sent to the gulags where many died for being enemies of the state. After the fall of communism, the missionary organization Co-Mission sent a team to Stavropol. The city's history was not known to them at that time. They just went there because they were going there. When the team experienced difficulty getting Bibles shipped in from Moscow, somebody mentioned a warehouse outside of town where confiscated Bibles had been stored since Stalin's day. After prayer, one member got up the courage to go to the warehouse and ask the officials if the Bibles were still there. They were. Then they asked if the Bibles could be removed and distributed again to the people of Stavropol. And the answer was yes, and a truck was obtained and several Russian people helped load the Bibles. You can give it your best shot to get rid of this book and the Savior who it writes about. You know, when we read the word of the Lord endures forever, when we read the word is unchained in here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that could very well be a double reference to the person of Christ as well as the, word, the, the, the written word of God. He's called the word of God or the communication of God. The word of God is unchained and unstoppable. You can argue with it. You can fight it. You can criticize it. You can do what you like. But for 2,000 years, it's been unchained and unstoppable. I received an email this week from an old friend from our church in Tukwila. And she writes this, uh, Pastor Dave, I hope that it's okay that I looked you up and found you. I'm also hoping that you remember me from South Center Community Baptist Church. I have such wonderful memories of you and your wife. Sue is a wonderful example of a Christian woman. Sue and Thelma have had such an influence on my life. That was my associate pastor's wife. Pastor Dave, I want you to know that I've continued to walk with the Lord. I have grown in the Lord, and I have a wonderful personal relationship with God. He and I have walked through a lot of fires together, and I have experienced healing in my heart. This woman was a single woman who had been abused in a couple of different ways by a couple of different men, including being coerced into getting an abortion. And she came to our church with a lot of hurts and a lot of difficulties, and we just discipled her. God discipled her, as he always does, and she was with us a couple of years and then moved on to eastern Washington because of life circumstances. He has taken a heart of stone and turned it to a heart of flesh that's soft as a marshmallow. God has been so faithful to us and has always taken care of this little family. He's truly been the father to the fatherless. Uh, She talks about her daughter, and then she says, uh, God has totally changed our lives. Pastor Dave, I've been diagnosed with colon cancer. It's a weird type that has to do with a long family history of colon cancer. I'm having a big surgery and then chemo. 
and uh, this cancer hasn't spread yet, but statistically I will probably not live for, for five years. I, but I have a big God, and my days are in his book, not theirs. That's the strength that only, that only comes from the unstoppable, unchained Word of God, which speaks of the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, the seed of David, raised from the dead. I am right now in my life surrounded by suffering saints who are walking through fire with their Savior because he's unchained. And I hope that's the Savior that you're remembering. I hope that's the Savior that you're aware of. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're so glad that we have a Savior. Mm. We're glad that he lights our way. Oh, Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for hope. Father, if there's somebody here who's never believed in Christ, help them to see that Christ wants to bring completion to their life and peace to their future. Thank you for the testimonies we heard today of those you have already saved. Bless them as they've taken the step of obedience and as they go forward. Father, as we fellowship together, help us to honor you and to encourage each other and to draw each other toward that real image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I pray in his name. Amen.